Welcome to week two of Following the Rabbi. Hopefully we've spent a lot of more weeks, if you're a follower of Jesus, following the rabbi. But um, this is week two where we're doing it together and uh, reading the book of Matthew together. The reading schedule is both in your bulletin, on the big screen, kind of messed up, ignore the big screen, um, and on the website. It's really good on the website because Kayla did it. Okay, last week we talked about the Jewish culture and how, how much it is impacted uh, in, uh, or how, how much Matthew's book is impacted by the Jewish culture. He's writing to the Jews in this uh, book. We left off on chapter 9, so um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, they're in the pews there for you. But we're going to look today mostly at chapter 10. We're going to look at chapter 10. And chapter 10 really shows us how to follow the rabbi. We're going to see how Jesus went about recruiting people to follow him, how he trained his team for the mission, how he warned his disciples, and how he promises to partner with us. So let's start with recruitment. Every great leader, when they're about to embark on a mission, they pick a great team, or at least they try to, right? So here's who Jesus pulls together. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, or Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, we could just read this as a lump sum of, of names who we don't really know these guys, and not even notice there's actually extra information about some of these men as you read this passage. The extra information in this passage actually helps us see why Jesus chose these men strategically. At least half of them we have some clues about just from these three verses. Now, at first, it looks really haphazard and actually even counterproductive to the bigger picture of what Jesus is trying to do. But as you look deeper, you can see why each of these men is in the mix. And it's good for us to hear who he chose and why he chose them, because it's very interesting. So the first two I'm going to talk about are Simon and Matthew. These two represent Jesus' need for unity in diversity. Simon the Zealot, you see. And Matthew, we learned from last week, is a tax collector. Now, actually, under normal circumstances, these two would be at absolute odds with one another. Zealots are people who saw God as their only ruler. Their only ruler. There could, no, could not be any earthly ruler in their minds. And they fought hard to keep this liberty. The zealots at the time were trying to overthrow the Roman government. Last week we heard about Matthew being a tax collector for the government. Therefore, Matthew would have been on Simon's literal hit list. Simon and Matthew would have been at odds. Zealots were known to kill people that were, getting, that were not letting other people live their life with God as their only authority. Now, under any other circumstances, Simon would have likely have killed Matthew the tax collector. 
simply because of his job, not because he was uh, corrupt like we learned last week, but because he was serving an earthly master. Yet Jesus called these men together to serve with him on the same team for the same cause and mission. Suddenly, these two men had to lay down their own personal agendas. They both had to lay down their own personal missions. Simon had to decide to not kill Matthew. Jesus wanted us to see this so we could see that there needs to be deep unity even when we don't have the same political stance. God's lesson for us all is that we care and love Jesus first and follow him together. That's the mission. We must lay down our own agendas. We must lay down our own mission in order to fulfill the mission that Christ has for us as a church. No matter how polar opposite we are, Jesus is calling us to align under his lordship. And follow him. Now, other strategic moments he has is another interesting hires that he makes as he's going along. Is he picks two brother teams. Yet in the same passage, further down, he talks about family and conflict. Brother will betray brother to death. Here we go again. And a father, his child, children will rebel against their parents and have, have them put to death. Seemingly, seemingly yet another not-so-great idea to bring these people together on the same team for the same mission. Especially when most people believe that families should not betray one another. Jesus knew that brothers and sisters fight with each other. Probably the fiercest love and the fiercest fighting you will ever see is between siblings. Having two sets of siblings on this team was a very high liability and a very high asset. Jesus was all about naming the hard truth of even even before it was going to happen. He wanted the disciples to know that there will be moments that families will turn against each other simply because you're following him. As well as how much Jesus values family. Families in biblical times really didn't move out. Generations lived together in a household. He knew how tight-knit families were at this time. But Jesus doesn't recruit like the rest of the world recruits. Most companies don't look for two brothers to work on their team, probably because they know this kind of stuff happens. They turn against each other. Yet this was a part of Jesus' strategic plan. He was hiring them for a reason. When he recruited, he shared that it would be hard and that it might not be a great job, but he wasn't selling things. He wasn't selling this job without being truthful. For I have come to turn man against his father, a daughter against his mother, 
a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He made it clear. Yes, family is important. That's why I called these brothers together. But he also knows that he's asking for that same type of lordship. We are coming underneath Jesus Christ and following him first. Once again, Jesus and his followers then started training and they were learning how to follow the rabbi at this point in scripture. And here's what he called the followers to do in verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave him them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. This is a large mission, but he goes on to say in verse 5, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now this might seem weird, telling them to only go to a certain group of people to not go to the Gentiles or the people of Samaria. Especially since later in the same book, Jesus encourages them to go into the whole world. However, every good leader knows, if you're going to be effective, you got to get focused. So he may have been saying this specifically, Matthew may have been saying this specifically to the Jewish people. But Jesus probably was telling them to stay focused so that they, could, they would share the gospel with their own people first. These same words are not found in the other two gospels, as this story is told. Another of the initial focus is, is the other two elements as well. One being that Jewish people saw a need for spiritual purity. They needed to know that the Jewish line, we talked about this last week, the Jewish line was pure. And the other one being that they needed to keep the spiritual purity line line pure. Last week, we talked about the importance of having a firm foundation at the beginning of Christianity so that it could last as long as it has. Jesus wanted to give first refusal rights to the Jewish people. Here it is. Do you accept it or do you not? giving them freedom of choice just like he always has and always will. We have a choice whether or not to follow Christ. This past Monday night, the Board of Spiritual Life came together and considered how is God calling us forward in this church. At first, we listened for God to give us any ideas that we might be called to. As we continued to look for the main themes, it narrowed our focus a little bit. How can we be effective to minister in this church and in our community? We talked about a lot of things, but when it came down to it, it actually, verse 7 and 8 speaks to what happened. This is how the focus got narrowed. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It was clear to us in that room on Monday night. We wanted to keep Christ at the center But we realize sometimes when we're doing a lot of things, we get distracted. 
and Christ can get forgotten. So it was good to be in a room of 13 leaders who all had that same focus of following Christ. Christ is the head of this church. And thankfully, it was the common thread as we sat in that room. But then it, also, the chap, or verse 8 goes on to say, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Now, most of us have not healed anybody or raised anybody from the dead. And thankfully, we don't have to deal much with leprosy anymore, except for at VBS. We have little dots on our head. But we were clearly called on Monday night to be a part of healing our community, both inside these walls and outside these doors. We, as a church, are called to freely receive and freely give. This is our call. We come in these doors to receive, and we go outside to freely give. Now, rabbis in biblical times were required to not take any money for teaching because they had been given Moses' law for free, and they were supposed to pass it on for free unless they were teaching children because children were supposed to be, or parents were supposed to be in charge of teaching their children. So higher ed, you didn't get paid. Little kids, you got paid. So this is how Jesus tells them to travel. Do not get any gold or silver or copper or take the, to take with you in your belts. No, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. So um, my grandfather lived in England all the way up until my dad was a teenager. And my grandfather actually came to Christ in high school when a young group of travelers came by for 10 days at their church. So these guys were from Cliff College, the Cliff Bible College, the college nearby. They had been sent out by their professors to do exactly what this passage was calling them to. They were told to walk all summer and not take anything with them. No money, no food, no extra clothes. Go out and preach the kingdom. They just so happened to stop at my grandfather's church. And my grandfather that day was forever changed so much so that he, a few years later, decided to go to Bible, Cliff Bible College a few years later. Part of their training was on the weekends, and they would walk five miles down the road to the closest town and preach the gospel and share a few of their spiritual stories. This was to practice for the longer journey during the summer. They would sing as they would walk. They took turns sharing their stories and preaching the sermon. When summer came... And all the practicing was over, even all through Christmas break. It turned into a summer walk of spreading the gospel. They walked, they sang, they were surprised each day how God provided food, housing, money, clothing, three months of a journey. When my grandfather returned to school that year, the school was closed because of the war. And my grandfather was required to serve in the military. My grandfather refused to carry a rifle. 
So when they discovered that he had been to Bible college, they asked him if he would be the traveling evangelist from church to church in his area because all the other pastors had been sent off to war. This became his military duty during the war and probably what kept him alive. Jesus gives us these further instructions in verses 11 through 14. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. As you enter a home, give it a greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. I think it's important that we hear Jesus say this to us because I think sometimes we think we have to hang on like a bulldog and never let go when we're sharing the gospel. But it's good to know that Christ himself knew this happens. Sometimes people reject Christ. But it was good to have Christ acknowledge this. People will choose to not follow him. We need to be ready for this moment in our lives. We need to be able to move on even when people won't accept Christ. Now, among the Jewish people, it is actually believed that the physical land of Israel is holy, hence the name Holy Land. So it was their custom when they would travel to another country that when they got to the border, another heathen country, they literally would take off their sandals and they would clap them together and they would shake the dust from their feet to make sure that they weren't polluting their own holy land. I believe God put this in Scripture so that we could remember that for our hearts and our soul because sometimes ministry is hard. Sometimes you feel like You've been hurt and you can't move forward. We have to not let other people's unbelief in Jesus Christ shake our souls. We have to keep moving forward in the kingdom of God, doing the work that he's called us to do. So even if the dust was from a Jewish home and they didn't believe, they were asked to shake the dust from their shoes before they left. This passage should remind us that we, too, need to move forward. We need to not get discouraged spiritually when others aren't following. When my grandfather, after he had immigrated to the United States, when my dad was a teenager, he offered his services to the local church. Some churches were thrilled to have such a godly man come, willing to serve, teach, lead, and preach whenever called upon to do so. Other times, he was met with great opposition. And there was a church in Ohio that was the final straw. And he stopped going to church before I was even born. While I was working on my degree in youth ministry at North Park, I found out my grandfather was a believer. It was while I was in college, my junior and senior year, that my grandfather started writing me letters. 
and telling me about his ministry adventures. He would write me a letter once a month for nearly two years. He always included a $50 check, so of course I opened it and read it. (laughs) But he closed each letter with these words, Keep the faith. And I took those words to heart as a young woman, and I still do today. When, we get, when I got to the place in his story where he had not received being welcomed into a church to lead, I decided in my heart that day that no matter what the opposition, I would always remember to shake the dust off my feet and keep moving forward, following Christ in whatever way he was calling me to. Jesus warned us in scripture, scripture, verse 22, you will be hated because of me. And I can honestly say, as I've walked in my life of ministry, I've watched people be hated. I've felt hated at times as well. But we must remember that God made it very clear in the beginning. Jesus laid it out for us. He didn't pull any punches. He was clear. Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is in, it. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. Sometimes when we look at these last two verses, we think there's something about authority. But the reality is we will suffer like the rabbi. Jesus wanted us to be clear. Following him will mean that we suffer. We must remember how Jesus was treated in order to save the world. When we follow someone, we should start to look like them and act like them. And we really shouldn't expect other people to act towards us any differently than they did to him. Verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. People were about to be crucified. People who were about to be crucified had to carry their cross beam to where they were going to be crucified. The weight of it alone was enough to make their knees buckle. But the emotional weight with each step knowing you were walking to your death would be even harder. Jesus in this small statement is revealing both the emotional and the physical burden that his disciples would carry if they followed him. Following Christ is both a physical and emotional burden. The good news, here's the good news, is he wants to partner with us. He does comfort us with these words. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say. Verse 20. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, those who are persecuting you. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in in the dark, speak in the daylight. 
What is whispered to you in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill you, kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm sure there are times in your life that you have felt that something was unjust. Jesus is acknowledging it in this passage. You may have experienced someone taking advantage of you and not getting caught for their actions. In this, Jesus is acknowledging you. He's acknowledging that on judgment day, all these things will be known. When we stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, these things will be known. Why is this so significant to us as individuals? We are to make ourselves right with God, like Kayla encouraged us this morning. I have said to young leaders before, one of the hardest things in ministry is to act with integrity when others are not acting with integrity around you. This is what Jesus is calling us to, to a life to follow even when it's hard, knowing that he walks with us and cares for us. In the kids' bag today, there's a little passage about a a little hummingbird. And the reason leader Larry put that in there is because he wanted the kids to know and really to remind us all If God cares so much about the details of a little tiny bird that weighs less than a dime, how much more would he care for us? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head will all be numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He's telling us that every creature is valued. My grandfather grew deeply in his faith as he walked as a student without money. And again, as an adult, trusting God, is to, he was going to guide and protect him all the way. And I believe that his last mission walk was with a young woman entering into ministry. My grandfather told me the eternal benefits of long-term service to the Lord. And these are for you as well. Verse 22. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 33, 20, or 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. The bottom line is this. Following the rabbi is all in verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Society is telling us the opposite of this. They're telling us to find our worth and our well-being and being successful. Having a good job. Getting our kids into the right college. But in reality, Jesus said, we must Let go of all of these things in order to find our true calling. We must follow the rabbi to find our life. Let's pray. God, this morning, 
as our hearts have turned towards you and our, our longing is to follow you, I ask, God, that you would give us the strength and courage to be able to see that even today, how we're called to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.